heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Sometimes, folks, with football, it's an interesting sport. And if you guys remember, for episode 100, you can if you're watching on YouTube, you can see him with me, Keegan Stiefel, was a part of an episode called Why Do You Love Football? And I think last night, as I put the graphic up here, I think last night pretty much encapsulated why we love this game. Yeah, and uh, weekends like that, they come around every once every, like, 15 years, I'd say, where it's just – Every game's great. You get the opportunity to watch all of them. You know, Divisional weekend is that weekend usually. Um, but we haven't had a two-day stretch like that in a very long time. It, nothing but bangers after bangers for games. Um, the storylines have been great, everything. Uh, you're absolutely right. That's why you love football. Exactly. Like, you look at every game. I don't think there's ever been a weekend, or at least I can't remember, where every single game has ended with a walk-off fashion. It would have been cool to see like a game-winning field goal because part of me always thought – you know, when the Bills had a 20, when it was 26-21, I'm like, okay, if the Bills get a touchdown here, Chiefs are going to march down and get, the field, and get a field goal and make it 29-28 just to, like, I know last week was rough for us, but to, like, truly see Bills fans' hearts get ripped out at the end. I always had a feeling that's what was going to happen, but just had to wait till overtime. Yeah, you know what? For the Bills fans that I follow and that I've interacted with, they were all very cordial about the loss, which was surprising because usually they're, you know, it's brutal for them. Yeah. So um, it was interesting to see that in the most heartbreaking fashion, they, they got their hearts ripped out and they were kind of just okay with it. It was, it was very interesting. Yeah, exactly. I know I had the same thing too from Bill's Twitter. I saw a lot of that too, where it wasn't like so much, man, like we're so pissed, like we got so far and yet it was like heartbreaking. It was more like, it is what it is. It just, it sucks. It's just one, it's like kind of like us in a way last weekend in a sense you know where it's like you kind of accepted your fate you didn't like you don't want to dwell on it you don't want to deal with it you kind of just accepted hey take the loss it sucks but you know what we'll just move on yeah for sure it was after after that weekend i'd say since they were the last game just after that weekend seeing all the other fan bases get their hearts ripped out i'm sure it was just like it was bound to happen eventually you know like bills fans are used to it by now too but yeah um Lots of lots of talk about how, you know, the overtime rules suck and, and all that stuff. I don't know. For the fan, I think the games ended the way they were supposed to end. I, I wasn't upset about any of it. No, 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 neither was I. I always think with overtime where people are mad about it's like, oh, everyone should get each possession. I'm like, maybe the defense could, you know, do their part a little bit more just to, like, get the stop. But at the same time, too, you knew last night was not ha- – that wasn't happening. Yeah, no. It's, uh, it's more than half the game – or less than half the game because special yeah. teams, but – it's half the game. You got to play defense, and um, <laughs> to watch uh, Ryan Kieran, who works with me at Pat's Bowl, but he tweeted out, "It's so funny to see, you know, two minutes left in the game, they're just firing touchdowns. They're scoring yeah. in like twenty seconds, no problem. And then as soon as overtime starts, it's like, all right, we got to establish the run. We got to hand the ball off for two yards, you know. And it's like this complete one eighty once uh, once overtime starts. And usually you see that, and you saw it at the beginning. And then the Chiefs are like, oh wait." We just we can just go score right now. Like we yeah. we just did it three times. So you know they walked right down the field and scored to win the game. But it was crazy to see the the turn of events because at halftime the game was you know projected to go under, yeah. and then you know everybody went buck wild towards the end. I almost live bet the over. It was at like fifty seven and a half, and I was like I'm gonna take it. And I was like no, nah, I kind of backed off. I had a pretty good day at the book yesterday, so it was what it was. But um, the only thing I gotta say about this weekend look is that I think. Tennis uh, is was Tennessee a bit of a fraud one seed? I don't know, but it just wasn't a good day for them. Uh, the Green Bay San Fran game, I was like half watching it because I was watching the fights. But when you look down, you realize like the block punt happened, and that's a game where special teams comes into play. And if yeah. Minnesota doesn't hire Demarco Ryan, they're doing something wrong. Um, yeah, for sure. And then yesterday, yeah, and then yesterday, I just want to say this quickly. I don't know if it was me, but that Tampa-LA game reminded me a lot of the 2015 AFC Championship game. I can see that. Yeah. You yeah, know, Brady's I, having a bad day. I I think that game, for me, felt like 
do you remember? I think it was 2013 regular season against – it was New England versus the Broncos. And oh, at halftime, they were that. down – what was it, 24 points at halftime? It was like the same deficit. Yeah, 24 And they came, they came back and they dominated in the second half. But Tampa Bay didn't really do that. It was kind of like L.A. giving the game away, giving the game away. Tampa Bay didn't look good for, I don't know, 50 minutes of that game. And then the final 10 minutes, they looked great, obviously. Defense was forcing turnovers. Offense was scoring at will. But, like, and it's the same thing where people made the comparison to Super Bowl 51, where it was like, oh, yeah, you know, Brady's done this before. That game was so different from, from Super Bowl 51 just because the Patriots played well in the first half in, in that game. It just kind of fell apart. At different at different turning points, but they always played well. They were never outclassed. Tampa Bay was getting outclassed yesterday, throughout fifty minutes, and then every single thing that could go right went right, and eventually, you know, they tied the game. But um, I, I think it was I think it was different than anything we've seen, maybe other than that that Denver game. Yeah, exactly. I remember that one. I think that was that the Denver game where Gronk had that unbelievable one handed uh, touchdown. I, my, I think that was a couple years later. But th- that was the game. Wes Welker muffed the punt. Yes, and that that was the turning point. Like everything just avalanched for Denver at that point, and that was his first year in Denver, and it was this huge thing. Um, but that game, that was Brady had a punt towards the end after the when the Patriots went up. Brady punted the ball and pinned them down inside the five, and there was a fight. That was a a memorable regular season game for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, re- I remember that one just because I remember too, like. I think Brady threw a pick early and they almost had a pick six, something like that. It was just like both those games were Murphy's law. The only other thing I'll say about the LA Denver game from yesterday was that if I know some people were saying this, I agree with it. If what happened yesterday was Super Bowl 51, where Atlanta was just giving new England turnover after turnover, the Patriots win by like 20 points. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For that, sure. that, yeah. That's not a uh, close game. I think if you get like, I'll always say this, and we can get into this in a minute, but I still say that the high tower strip sack was a ter- true turning point in that game. But I'm just saying, like, if stuff like that happened in that uh, Super Bowl 51, excuse me, it's it's not going overtime. It's uh, New England just absolute curb stop. Yeah, for sure. They'd, I mean, New England, at from halfway through the third quarter, every single play went positively in their direction, so, except yeah. for the Julio catch. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, like the real reason why you're here is just like I said, obviously had to do the divisional recap quickly, go through all the games. What happened, happened a great weekend of football. Um, look last weekend, I would say this, that was Murphy's law game. It's just whatever could go wrong, would go wrong. But in your honest opinion, do you view the season as a whole from when you look at it from when we first spoke, which was almost right before the start of the regular season to now, do you view the season as a disappointment or do you look at it and say, okay, here's what wrong and here's how we address it? So I don't, I don't view it as a disappointment. Um, at the beginning of the year, I, I think my projection was 11 and six and they lose in the divisional round. I was wrong. They, they were worse than that, right? They, they went yeah. 10 and seven lost in the wild card game, but <laughs> to see, to see what went wrong for them, which was early in the year, they they just weren't a cohesive team and they didn't know how to finish to late in the year where they were sluggish and tired and they looked old to the playoff game where they were very clearly just not as talented as the other team. They were slower. They were older, you know, everything. Buffalo had the advantage in, in every you know category, I would say. Yeah. And, but then the seven game win streak mixed in. It was almost like that's the team that we knew they could be at their at their peak. And then the way they looked in the playoffs was, yeah, that's kind of the team that we thought might come along because they've got so many older players. So um, though I was wrong, I was a a game off uh, on my predictions. I'd say they were the team I thought they were going to be the entire year. Um, And and for me, I think it's okay to move the goalposts a little bit throughout the year. Like when they're, when they're two and four and start the season, obviously you're not going to expect them to make the playoffs. I, I, I moved the goalpost back. I was like, all right, at this point, it's just getting Mac Jones ready for year two, finding the players that you know are, are going to be with you for the long haul, and then you know figuring out where you need upgrades. And then throughout that seven-game win streak, it was moving it like, oh, this seems pretty good. They finally figured it out. And like I said earlier, so it, it's the peaks and valleys of a season where I like to move the goalposts. I think that's okay to do. Um, but you know, in the end, I always end up right around the same spot where I started because that's just kind of how it goes. So. 
Um, I think they were exactly who we thought they were going to be. Uh, I think they're in a good spot. They know they have a quarterback they can win with. Um, how far they can go with him, who knows? That's After next year, I think everybody will be confident in, in figuring out where they can go. Year two jump, all that stuff. But um, I, I think I think they're probably confident in moving forward, and, and I am too. I think, I think they're going to be all right. You know what? I'm the same. I'm the same. I, my ceiling was always around like the 10 and 7, 11 and 6 mark. Like 11 and 6 for me was like absolute best case scenario. I figured 9 and 8, 10 and 7 was the more realistic approach. Um, but I was like you. When, after the Dallas loss, I was like, all right, look, just finish the year strong, get Mac, see what you can do with him, and then think about 2022. Then we started winning. Then I was like, okay, I wasn't thinking Super Bowl League. In the back of my mind, was I? Yeah, like you always keep that in the back of your mind. But I wasn't out here just preaching to the streets. You know, it's like, Patriots are going, we're so back, we're this, we're that. No, like you have to look at it from a realistic standpoint as much as you want to put your fandom cap on. Um, but I didn't. And then obviously Indy, I look at that, I was like, okay, you hit the rookie wall, every rookie has a bad game. Buffalo, I think it was just same thing. Buffalo was a better team. And then the Jacksonville game, look, you're supposed to beat teams like that. I think that says – I know everyone looks at it like there. And I know Miami, a lot of people were mad because the Patriots just didn't look good. I just think their their meter of like give a shit. I think they realized, hey, we're not winning the division. We already clinched. So if they lost that one, and what it is, what it is. But in reality, I think if they had won Miami, and even though if they still tied with Buffalo, but Buffalo won, could it have helped them a bit? Yes. But I've been saying this, and you may not like it because obviously I know what school you're. Obviously, you're allegiant to UMass Lowell. But I no, do, no, 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 not Lowell. Oh, Amherst. UMass Lowell's fake UMass school. Amherst, excuse me. I, I, I am to, so. I, to make correction. I apologize, UMass Amherst. Um, but I view Buffalo's season and what happened last week as Michigan beating Ohio State. You know, and yeah. then they got absolutely walked by Georgia. Now, obviously, last night was different, but that's how I view the playoff game. Where I view, and also to playing, we are the champions. Is to quote Big J, journalist and co-host of yours, Ryan Spagnoli, playing, we are the champions after the wild card win. I was just like. Okay, yeah, you're two things. One, you're messing with the sports gods. And two, I still say that was their Super Bowl. But you know what? We're not it's a fireable offense by whoever whoever hit yeah. the button to play that song. Get him out of there. Fire him. That's, Ex- you can't do that. Exactly. Playing Run This Town and everything like that, I'm like, okay, yeah, I understand that. But playing We Are the Champions, I don't even play that song. When the Patriots win their runs, I ban that song from my Spotify until they're hoisting the damn Lombardi trophy. I did the same thing with the Raptors in 2019. And I'm sure you did it the numerous championship runs you got to experience as a Boston sports fan. But back to New England. This season, I think it just kind of shows that, look, this I even to going into this offseason, we'll get into it in a minute, but there's hope to be realistic. But I'm not looking at this team to contend, be a serious contender for the playoffs for 2022. And what I mean by that is, am I going to go into next year expecting them, hey, there's a chance they're in Phoenix for the Super Bowl? Probably not. I'm looking at 2023 and 2024 as being the realistic windows to, you know what, make that push to be a very serious playoff contender in the NFL. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think I think this year, Belichick said it himself, right? Yeah. Prior to the season, kind of in the offseason, that last year was a reset. They, they knew they weren't going to win a lot of games last year. They knew exactly what their roster was, which was a bad roster. I'd say it was one of the worst in the NFL. The fact that they won seven games with that roster is – you know, astounding, but last year or 2020 was a reset. 2021 was the beginning to the rebuild and it was a hell of a start. And then 2022 is here's the year to figure out what you're going to be like yeah. next year. They're going to figure that out and they're not going to go and win the Super Bowl. Not, you know, 99% chance they, they don't, no. but going out there and competing with teams like Kansas city and Buffalo and Cincinnati, even like yeah. who knows what Cincinnati's going to be. Um, Tennessee, I'm sure Tennessee without injuries are a much better team than they ended up being. Uh, they were ravaged by injuries. So yeah. competing with those teams on a week-to-week basis next year is something that I think is going to be important for them. And their schedule is going to help them do that, because not even just in the AFC, but the NFC. You've got Arizona, who everybody thought was a great team until they got curb stomped. And then, yeah. you know, you've got Green Bay, which who knows what Green Bay is going to be next year. But you're going you're gonna to have opportunities to see where you're at. And uh, I'm confident that they – they win more of those games than they lose next year, which is a good sign for the future. Yeah, exactly. Go in there, be competitive. It, like 
like you said, when they have the games where you're playing a good opponent, don't get don't get blown out. Don't have happen what happened to us week 16 against Buffalo. Uh, even to who knows what Minnesota is going to be next year with new coaching staff. Uh, I'm really intrigued too because we do play the AFC North, where all four teams. You well, Cincinnati. I think we're trying to figure out what they are, but I'm sure Baltimore is going to be good again next year. Pittsburgh, we don't know. Cle- Cleveland, we don't know. But I feel like both teams can still maybe be contending for that wild card spot. I feel like there's going to be that – like how I view the AFC right now is you have your top two dogs, obviously, Buffalo, Kansas City. They'll probably be somewhere between one and three. Tennessee probably be back, Cincinnati too. I think the Patriots are in that conversation, you know, the five, six, seven. Maybe if something happens and goes their way, hey, could they take a run at the division? Probably. I'm not saying they're going to win. I still think this is Buffalo's division unless, God forbid, something happens to Josh Allen. No, I'm not wishing anything on him. I'm just saying, look at us in 2008. That's what happened. Um but for next year, I'm just looking at, look, just keep making strides, just keep making improvements, and just be more consistent. You know, where if they had if they had a year where they were 10-7, and 7, but say, for example, if instead of losing to Indy, they had lost to the Chargers, I think it would have looked a little bit better, you know, so where the losses are more broken up as opposed to even, say, Kansas City, you know, where they had a couple bad losses at the beginning of the year and then they finished strong. I feel like if you chop them up, like what Buffalo did this year, Buffalo never really had a losing streak. They just lost and then they came out and they won the next game. That's what I want to see from New England in 2022. Yeah, for sure. And, and the AFC this year was so jumbled where, you know, we've I, we've all said it a million times, there were two good teams, then everybody else was kind of the same team yeah. that ended up in the playoffs. Like, Oak, or Las Vegas is going to come down to earth next year. And, yeah. and probably Los Angeles as well. You know, both those teams competed with Kansas City in the division. Probably not going to happen again. We know what Kansas City is. They're, they're If not the best team in football, they're the best team in the AFC. And you're not going to be able to win the division very many times with Josh Allen in it for how we've seen him play and what he is. You're, you're not going to roll out of bed and win the division like you did for the past 20 years. So um, you, you're stuck in the five to seven range because you're not going to win the division, but also you get that five seed every year, you're the top wild card for, or for the next couple of years. I think that's a good starting point for them, especially if you're hoping to, you know, get to a point where you can keep winning divisions again and stuff like that. You got to start with, you know, compete and, and get that wild card and win a couple playoff games, which is they didn't win the playoff games, but they competed for the division all the way throughout the year this year. And uh, they were in it to the end. So like I said, it, it was a really good start for a rebuild. That's the other thing too. It's like you said, this was year two of a rebuild. It's not like it's anything else. And I'll also say this about 2020. If there's anyone else coaching that team, that team I think wins maybe four games at most. Cause like we should not have beaten the Chets and we should not have. Be- and the Cardinals kind of beat themselves in that game. But, um, no, all in all, look, successful season could have gone better, yes, but at the same time, too, considering we didn't know what to expect at the same time, it is what it is, and, look, we just got to take our losses and accept the fact that, hey, maybe in Orchard Park next year there's a banner that says beat our biggest rival in the AFC Wild, saw on Super Wild Card Weekend, but lost in the divisional round. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I doubt it. Jim Irsay doesn't own them, but their owners are stupid, too, the Pagulas, so who knows? Well, I just like the spectrum of, okay, you built the hockey team, you built the football team, but then you ran the hockey team into the ground. So it's very two different ends of the spectrum. That's all. Yeah, they're uh, not very good at what they do. Exactly. Um, So I just want to ask you, though, like for this team, obviously we talked about it a little bit, but when it comes to certain players and stuff, like I know you and Pat touched on it, what do you realistically see happening next year? Because, look, there's a lot of offensive players that will be on this team. There's a lot of the guys that are locked up. there's certain question marks I have to say with guys like, you know, James White, Nelson Aguilar, and Nikhil Harry, just because you don't know if they're going to be traded or not. But all in all, who do you see, like, if you had to take the tough pill to swallow, who can you not see being on this team in 2022? It's a good question. Um, I don't think, you know, this is an easy one, but Hightower, McCourty, and Slater, I don't think all three of them are going to be back. You're going to see, yeah. you know, whether one of them retires, um, Slater, I don't think Slater's going to ever play for somebody else, but he's 36. Like, he's been playing forever. Um, so I think I think you're going to see one of those guys leave. Um, James White, who, as much as his injury hurt the team for a few weeks, you know, trying to figure out where they were going on offense, um, I do think it's, it's probably time where you can figure out how to find that production elsewhere. And, and not rely on him so much. And and when you do rely on him as much as they have in the past, it kind of makes their offense a little one-dimensional or not, not so much one-dimensional, but they're less explosive when 
your number one receiver is a running back, right? So yeah. um, I wouldn't be surprised if they let him move on. I also wouldn't be surprised if they signed him to a contract coming off an injury, knowing they can get him for cheap, you know. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he moves on. Defensively, I would not expect J.C. Jackson to be back. I just – they if, if you do end up spending the money to have him come back, then you're – you're signing like two or three more players plus your draft class and that's it, right? You, it's a lot of money to have, have that guy come back. So I, I don't know that I expect him to come back. What I do think they're going to do is build up that middle class. Like it, it's what they've always done. They always had the most guys in the NFL making one to $4 million a year. Um, they got Adrian Phillips for a hell of a steal. If they can keep getting guys like that for $4 million a year, keep doing it, right? Uh, the Casey Haywards of the world where he's a good cornerback. He's not a number one cornerback, but he's – damn solid um you know grab a guy like that john jones is coming back from injury jalen mills showed that he could be a number two corner um he could be effective as a number two corner you've got guys taking leaps in year two there are a lot of rookies this year that either straight up didn't play like cameron mcgrone or or um, ronnie perkins and then guys that they showed so much and then what's the next step like christian barmore ramondre stevenson if they take another step, if they take that huge year two leap, those guys are Pro Bowl type players. That's how good they were. Um, so I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of roster turnover. I, I think you're going to see a lot of rookies, a lot of young players, and a lot of middle class guys. Exactly. It's kind of like the Patriot way, if you will. A lot of the guys, you don't ask much for them. Come in, do your job, and just, you know what, expect. don't expect a lot out of them, but what you get from them, like they're going to give you good. Like also to all say this, an Asian Phillips sign was a good – wake up to wake up wake up to on uh, new year's day um i agree with you like i think high tower for me would probably be the hardest one to like let go not for football reasons obviously he's older but he's just been one of my favorite paths just leader on and off the field same with devin mccordy if mccordy's back i would expect maybe like a vet minimum kind of deal and i do think slater retires i do agree with you but i will say this about slater i i will die on the hill that he belongs in canton i know edelman there was some mixed debates but Matthew Slater belongs in Canton. Yeah, he's the greatest special teamer of all time. People say Steve Tasker. That's it's wrong. That's incorrect. It's Matt Slater. You know, he's 36 years old. He was first team or second team All Pro this year. Like, he's still doing it at a at a very high level. So, um, if if he wants to come back, it, it, it's up to him. Yeah. If he wants to, he'll be back. The Patriots will have no problem signing him. And he's the kind of guy where a veteran minimum deal is probably fine. For, for what he brings to the table. And I'm sure him and his agent or whoever's negotiating the contract agrees. Um, Hightower, when you brought up Hightower, reminded me of Jawan Bentley. That's another guy. He's gone. But yeah. with a Bentley gone and he's your number two, you know, off-ball linebacker, when that guy leaves, that opens up a spot for a guy like Cam McGrone who has the tools and is young enough to be a superstar. He's, he's everything. If you built a linebacker, He's pretty much everything except for maybe you'd add an inch. You'd add an inch in like 10 pounds. But other than that, he's he's exactly what you need. Raekwon McMillan tore his ACL. Who knows at this point in his career? You know, it's it's his third knee injury, second ACL. Like, who knows if he's going to be able to come back from that? But he was good enough to make the roster and to make them give him a, a contract extension with a torn up knee. So you've, you've got two guys there that can replenish the middle of your defense and where you can feel probably not – thrilled about it but comfortable with with who they are as players and then the one question i want to ask you as well is where do we see chase winovich go from here because i don't know what happened to him during the season but the fact that he was in the fact that he was inactive for the wildcard game i think speaks a lot louder than a lot of people will think or want to believe yeah him having him and josh Uche on the roster is kind of a waste of a spot i'd say it sucks to say because they're both great pass rushers they're both really good at what they do but in the Patriots system, that just, it just doesn't work. Like you, you can't just rush the passer and expect to see the field because they've yeah. got a guy like Dietrich Wise who can do everything, uh, not as effectively, but he can do everything well. And, and that's what the Patriots look for. So um, I don't think you see both of them on the roster. Uche is so young and so athletic that you can find ways to get him on the field if you really need to. Um, so I would trade Chase Winovich for what you can get for him because what he's he's going into the last year on his contract. Uh, what you can get for him in terms of trade value is going to far out exceed the 50% special team snaps and the, the 10% defense snaps and, 
and two sacks a year, right? Like you, you can get a lot more for him as a trade piece than you can as a player uh, in this system. I think a team like Houston, who they love bringing in former Patriots and um, they don't have a ton of talent on their roster, just getting a talented guy who's going to play his ass off. And they, they've always had a guy in that role, like a Bernardrick McKinney did it for a while where he was just an off ball player or on ball player. Um, you know, trade him to, to Houston for a fifth round pick, see what you can get for it. Right. Um, I, I do think it's harsh to say, but I do think it's a waste to have both those guys on the roster because they do the same thing and you don't need more than one of those guys on the team. You know, that's very, that's very fair. It's just, I, like, like I said, I feel like after a while, like you start to see players like figure out exactly what they are. And we kind of know now what, right. Chase what exactly is um, going back to JC Jackson. Look, I would love to see him back in a uniform. Obviously you would, but realistically, if I believe his franchise tag is like 17 million and he's uh we only have 27 million in cap this year. Obviously, it's still a lot of money compared to what a lot of teams have. Look, we're not in a Green Bay situation. Hell, we're not. We're not in a New York Giants situation when six guys are making 60 percent of your cap. Um, but I think this year we have to make a lot of logical moves and smart moves that are gonna like look at the long term window of this team. Like, don't look at the now. Don't bring in guys to win now. Look at like guys that are gonna help contribute, whether it be 22, 23, 24, and beyond. I'm not saying lock guys up to like deals for them. You know what I mean? Like get guys on cheaper two to three year contracts. Yeah. You saw, you saw Cincinnati do it this year with Eli Apple and and Von Bell and guys like that, where they just signed middle of the pack guys. And they were like, go out there and you're our number one corner yard, number two corner, whatever. Um, And it's worked during the AFC championship game. So you can, you can do that. You can play the cheap game, especially a corner where as much of they as much as they've been bad at drafting, cornerbacks uh especially in the second round like it's a running joke at this point they're up to like seven second round corners who haven't played more than three years um they they just go and find them in free agency and under or undrafted free agency and they grab a superstar and they've done it multiple times so um i would be very comfortable with them just being like all right we're gonna go sign two cornerbacks off the street let's say casey hayward and you know some slot corner we're going to sign them we're going to have a four deep rotation we're going to bring in some undrafted free agents see if any of them stick i think that's a a recipe for success in the secondary especially with kyle duggar who's turning into a really really good safety and adrian phillips who is the most solid player on the on the team i'd say there's no one who does their job as well as adrian phillips does his so um i think the secondary is going to be all right if they don't re-sign jc jackson now of course if you do great Go get him a, a pair or a partner on the, the other side. Let Jalen Mills play more of a, you know, a DB role than a, a corner role. You've got Miles Bryant and um, John Jones in the slot. Now you're looking at a great secondary. Maybe Devin McCourty comes back. Who knows? But um, I think either way they're going to be okay. They'll, they'll know how to, how to fix that, that secondary, which is something they need to do because it was bad down the stretch. Yeah, exactly. That's the one thing, too. Like even we saw, for example, the Jonathan Taylor run at the end of the game, which I'll admit in that game – Seeing them lose that way was better knowing we were down three already compared to if we had the right. lead and then there was that big run because that would have been even more heartbreaking. Um, but, no, I do agree with you. The only thing I have to say in the secondary, as long as Joe, Joe Buon, I don't even want to say his name correctly, Williams is on the team, that's that's, a, that's all I care about. And then as for the linebacking core and the defensive line, I think it will figure itself out. I think Matt Judon may have been a mix of maybe some afterthoughts, with, after effects with COVID or teams figured out, hey, if we neutralize him, we get in there, but I'm not worried about a guy like Judon. I'm more worried about like all the other pieces and all the other stuff with the defense. We were talking about like the secondary and like the linebacking core. Yeah. Like, like I said, they can figure that. St- Sorry, I had to reconnect my microphone. They can figure that stuff out. Right. They, they've done such a good job over the years of, you know, here's, here's the guy at this position and, and not even position, but a guy on the ball. They've got it. Matt Judon. That's, that's their guy. What can you fill in around him? I think there's a ton of guys in the draft in second, third round. You grab one, he's a starter right away. You've got Dietrich Wise, Lawrence Guy, Devon Gotcha. They're all under contract for the next two years. The defensive line is going to be okay. At linebacker, do you have the guy? I don't know. It depends on if you classify Matt Judon as a linebacker, but he's already – I've kind of resigned the fact that he's a defensive lineman in my mind. At yeah. linebacker, do you have the guy? Maybe. Like maybe Cam McGrone can become that guy. I, I'm super high on him, as, as you know. But um, 
And if you don't, go and get one. Go and get the guy who can be your number one guy and then just fill in the pieces around him. They've done that for so long at every position where it's here's 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 the number one piece and then we're just going to fill in things around him. And that's the spot that they're in. They're almost forced to do that this offseason with the cap space situation and the amount of players that they have on the roster already. Um, and, and that's kind of a perfect spot for, for Belichick as well where he figured out the hard part. He got a quarterback and he's got talent everywhere. It's just, you know, finding where the pieces fit. Um, there's nobody better in the business at doing that than him. Exactly. And then the only other thing offensively I want to talk about quick, oh, actually a couple things. Um, offensive line, do you bring back Trent Brown or do you let him walk? Uh, like what? Cause that's the only thing I'm trying to figure out too. Cause he can, and then even to like Michael Owen, who had a solid rookie year, kind of like, I don't know if he fell out of Belichick's good graces or what exactly happened there, but it's just kind of weird when you see like someone who's been good and then for all of a sudden they just don't see the field. I'll start with one. I don't think he fell out of his good graces. I just think they they see how valuable he is to the sixth guy. You can plug him in literally anywhere. And also you can use him as a, a jumbo tight end. And for as little as they used it in the playoff game, or, or even down the stretch, yeah. he was running like 20% of snaps. It's still so, like, and the offensive line was never the problem throughout the year. So um, I think they were fine with just being like, hey, listen, you were starting, but we figured out something where we've got five offensive linemen that work really well together, and then you're so valuable as the sixth guy where if you were playing and Ted Harris was the sixth guy, he's not bringing the same thing. He's not as athletic as Mike on when it was. Yeah. And he's not as big and he's not as strong. He's, he's kind of a step below him on everything. It's weird to see that guy start and then the other guy be a reserve player, but you get more value that way, right? So yeah, uh, I think that's why the season ended that way. Ted Karras, I believe, is a free agent. I think yeah, he only signed a one year. year. He, uh, sorry so, to cut you off. It was one year because, remember, that was the whole – we didn't know if Andrews was coming back. And Andrews, and then Andrews resigned for, like, four. So, you know, maybe Ted Karras walked. I'm sure somebody would love to give him a ton of money, and I'm sure he'd love to take it. Uh, it didn't work out in Miami, but maybe it works out somewhere else. So if he walks, then you just slide Michael Nwendu into that left guard spot, and you're good until, you know, ultimately an injury is going to come along. But you figure that out when you get there. And then at tackle, I think this is the best tackle class we've seen in a while, like five or six years. A lot of, a lot of really good tackles. And a lot of guys where you can get a tackle in the second round, plug him in at right tackle, and you'll be fine. Um so I think they probably do that. My, I'm, I'm super into the draft right now, obviously, just because that's where we are in the year. But I, I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that they're going to trade out of the first round. They're going to pick up extra capital in the second. They're going to draft a uh, tackle. They're going to draft a defensive lineman, and they're going to build inside out. Uh, that's where my brain's at. So I would say Trent Brown, if he wants to come back on a cheap deal, sign him, draft and develop somebody to replace Win after his contract runs out next year or draft somebody, plug him in at right tackle, give Wynn an extension, and then you're all set. So they're, they're going to go one of the two ways, just whether or not Trent Brown's willing to take the uh, a cheap deal, which I think he will be. I don't think he's going to be super coveted because he was just okay. Um, he wasn't the all-world player he was in 2018, so we'll see. But uh, whichever way they go, I think they'll be all right. You know what, I honestly agree with you with that when it comes to Brown and Win because I feel like, yeah, you can get someone to develop them and then you can let either guy walk and it's not the biggest deal in the world. Now, obviously, Trent Brown's a better player than Isaiah Wynn in my mind, but look, at the same time, too, if they go to Trent Brown and they say, hey, we'll keep you here, uh, give you maybe a bit of a cheap deal, it is what it is, and then hopefully he's, hopefully he sticks around. And if not, like you said, develop and draft someone, which is honestly where I want to go to next because obviously I know who you want and you got me wanting that same person. Obviously, look, we both want Chris Olave. It would be great. Um, right. I still think with the Patriots, uh, before we go to draft, I think, because I was about to ask about the receiving core, but I uh, forgot about it for a second, was if they, um, with the receivers, if they either go out and get a wide receiver one or add in another slot guy, I feel like that could fix their problems. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie. Um, but with the draft overall, I've been saying this for a while, but I feel like this draft for most teams is going to be more about what you need than what you want. Like, you know how in 2020 Dallas, they didn't necessarily need Lamb, but they got him. I feel like you're going to want to like do the opposite, like how Dallas needed a linebacker or a defensive lineman in 2020. 
this draft, I feel like, no, you don't want to get the player just because it's the hot name. If he's there and you want him, fine. But I think for a lot of teams, it's going to be more about, look, you got to find out your holes and you got to plug them. Yeah, for sure. Um, for the Patriots-wise at wide receiver, I think if they were able to upgrade Nelson Aguilar and turn it into a true one, they would be that would be the perfect scenario. Yeah. Because Kendrick Bourne's great where he is. Jacoby Myers, I don't know if he can continue to ascend. I don't think he can just because physically he's not he's not there. But what he is is still a, a valuable player to have. He's he's a security blanket in the slot, which every team needs one, especially the Patriots, the offense they run. Um, so if you're able to upgrade Nelson Aguilar, turn that into a true number one receiver. I think Stephon Diggs, in my, my mind, is who would fit perfectly. He's obviously not leaving Buffalo anytime soon, but you know, you get a guy like that on the outside, then you're going to be okay. If not, you have to draft and develop somebody or you have to, you have to sign a few guys and see if one of them pans out. Um, I struggle. A lot of people think about the slot and, and they're like, get a slot receiver, but then that bumps everybody up. Then Jacoby Myers is your out is an outside guy, which he, that's not where he's going to excel. He's not going to play well on the outside if he moves there full time. And then Kendrick Horn becomes your number one receiver. And if you want to see somebody's production dip, put a number one cornerback on Kendrick Horn and watch those numbers fall. I, I know we all love Kendrick Horn, but that's just kind of that's what's going to happen. So uh, the best way is just to go find a number one receiver, which sounds like oh yeah, no no dirt, right? Find a number one receiver, but that's that's the direction they need to go. I don't know if there's anybody available this year. Like Allen Robinson's of the world. Is he is he who you want? I don't think so. Um, so my mind goes graph, but also you have so many glaring needs in the defense and so many holes you need to fill that are more pressing than wide receiver that I don't know if you do. Uh, like you said, with with needs-wise, I think wide receiver is down towards like three or four on your list, not one or two. I think that's tackle and corner. Um, so I would say the best course of action is to go sign a guy, give him around Nelson Aguilar money, have him compete with Aguilar, maybe have both those guys. You slot Jacoby Myers down a level, get Nikhil Harry off the roster as much as I love the guy. The time's come. Um, get get him off the roster. You know, you slide everybody down a peg and, and try to go from there and continue to develop receivers and then look forward to next year where maybe you already fill these holes then next year is the year you can go and grab the number one guy. Exactly. That was like, I was, it, it's what's, what's what we're here for. We're here for conversation. As I was like, trying to look up at the same time when my uh, phone's being slow of uh, who like the free agent for wide receivers are. Allen Robinson's on there. The two other guys, I just don't think are realistic. Like Devontae Adams, because of how much money he's going to want. And then Chris Godwin as well, because not about the money as well, but how good is he going to be coming off of the ACL? So, and also right. I think he's six in Tampa, uh, but other players on this, like, Will Fuller, Jameson Crowder, T.Y. Hilton, Schuster, like none of those guys I can really see. Like, yeah, the only one. Maybe, number one guys. Yeah, maybe Mike Williams, if anything. Like, I know the Chargers have the money to spend, but Spanos is cheap. I mean, the problem with Mike Williams is he's just a faster version of Nikhil Harry, and they hate throwing the ball to Nikhil Harry. So, how much are they going to like throwing it to, to Mike? Like, he's a 50 50 guy, which is great, but he doesn't create separation, and that's what Mac Jones needs. Yeah. for somebody to create, create separation, and it's just not what he does. So they'll probably yeah. sign him to like a $50 million contract now that I said that. But. And we'll be here in March talking about it. Um, that's just the one – I just want to look at that list quickly because, like I said, there's a lot of the guys It's either it's going to be unrealistic or it's just the money's not there. I do agree with you, though, like with the draft. Um, I'm going to say a couple players' names in recent memory that have come out that I'd like to see them do for linebacker, kind of like – what we've seen, and it's going to be happening this Sunday, uh, Logan Wilson, someone like of that kind of caliber, even to well, the rookie year Pete Warner had for the Saints. Now, I know the Saints didn't have the best year, but Pete Warner was one of those guys towards the end of the year where he kind of showed like what his worth and what his value is. Like Even how the Saints brought in someone like a Demario Davis and how he's really made that difference on that side of the ball. Right, like a third-round pick or something like that, which is, I think, what they, they have in, in Cam McGrow. So yeah. that's another a thing where you're like looking ahead – not just the draft right now, but a guy that they already have on their roster that they can plug into that spot. Maybe they already have. Yeah. And even too, with the um, wide receiver conversation, I want to say this because I know, I don't know if it's going to make you happy or sad. If they can go out there and get an Amon Ross St. Brown type player, like, you know, that third day, like, that's what I mean. Like that day three. I know I'm killing you. 
Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was basically going to say if they can get someone on day three in that fifth, sixth round that like, you know, no one sees or they just kind of find off the board or even to hell. Who knows what happens with Trey Nixon this year? Like the, the, like the, the way I feel like wide receivers like that, it's like that pick you want. Like you, you think about where you're like, you know what? Oh, it'd be so awesome to have like a Jamison Williams or a Traylon Burks or even uh Dotson from, uh, I forget why he was first name from Penn state. John Dotson. Those players would be nice and fine, but look, at the end of the day of the Patriots, am I going to expect them to, you know, 21, trade out of 21 and then move up? Like, look, we did it last year for Barmore, even though that was a rare Belichick move up. But at the same time, too, I feel like if there's no one there that Belichick doesn't want, they're going to move back. It's as simple as that. Yeah, receiver's nice, too, because it's a spot where if you take two receivers, you take one on day two, one on day three, one of them is bound to produce for you. It's kind of like – that's just kind of the way it works. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown, if you if you want a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, call me. Hit my line, uh, Bill. Hire me. I'll be your receiver guy. Uh, I, I couldn't have been more right about Amon Ross St. Brown. It took him like six weeks to get there, but he's a hell of a player. And he's a slot guy, which they don't need. They need an outside guy. But, you know, there there are plenty of guys for the taking this year. Um We'll have something coming out on passpulpit.com, my Twitter page and stuff like that where you can look. But a uh, lot of lot of quality depth options at receiver and guys that are kind of there to be drafted and developed. Not so much as players that are gonna you're gonna plug in right away, but guys that you can develop into a good player, maybe halfway through their rookie year they'll come on strong. A lot of those guys in this draft. So I, I think they're gonna be okay. I think they're gonna draft a receiver. I don't think it's gonna be early, but say third, fourth round, grab a guy. I, I think they're gonna be all right. It's just a shame that like uh, guys like uh, what's the guy blanking on the guys in the back of the Oh, it's like it's just a damn shame that Will Anderson's not till next year. And it's a shame that Dallas Turner is a freshman um, right. for the linebacker spot. And obviously, I know. Look, you have your gripes about drafting Alabama players, but I still find there's a way that one of Slade Bolton or Britain, Britain uh, Covey is gonna be a New England Patriot. Look, I don't make the rules; I just say what they are. Yeah, Britain Covey is just—he was born to be a Patriot, right? <laughs> yeah. That guy is unbelievable. Um, and, you know, I've given Gunnar Roshevsky a lot of shit. He's been fine. Like, he, he's been a fine player. He's just not – there's no value to what he is as a player. Um, and I'm all about value. Like, get a guy who can do multiple things for you. If, you, if you're going to have a punt returner, he better be able to do something else. Gunnar Roshevsky doesn't do anything else. So, um, I don't know if Burton Covey's going to be that guy. I think Burton Covey's the same exact kind of player as, as Gunnar Roshevsky, but – uh, a Slade Bolden who can return punts and, you know, you can develop him as a slot position because Jacoby Myers isn't going to be around forever. You know, maybe that's a guy to take a take a stab at. They're, they're batting like 500 with Alabama players, which sounds bad because you're like, oh, they've only hit on half of them. But in the NFL, you hit on half your picks from, you know, in whatever situation it may be, you're, you're batting 500, you're doing pretty damn well. Exactly. And even, too, I look at a podcast like, uh, well, actually, someone who's been on both our shows, but Austin Gale with him on Tailgate. And they both came out when guys like that are saying that, look, the Patriots had a top three draft class from last year. That's a, I'm going to take that as a good thing. Like, look, even two last year was a draft where Belichick was getting criticized where it's, oh, you know, his picks don't work out, this, this, and that. But then last year, the fact that three are already home run hits, I would say, in the sense of, look, Ramondre is that I, I always love your Haas comparison with him. as Garrett Blunt. Like some people like to say blunt force trauma. Look, I know you don't like the boogeyman expression, but for me, blunt force trauma died when Garrett Blunt left his team. I would, Say that in all caps, whether it be on Twitter or through text messages. But it's just – it's good to see that, look, we have a good one-two punch at running back. Damian Harris, clear RB1. I think it's just more or less now, like you're right, figuring out Brandon Bolden, James White, where to go. I prefer White, but I feel like at the same time, I think for as easy it is to sign him, it's as easy to get rid of him, kind of like what we saw with Rex Burkhead last year. Yeah, it's, it's another spot, too, where you can find a guy from somebody else's roster and, you know – Belichick knows how to find those guys, especially a running back. Have they ever had a problem finding, you know, solid running backs? If there was a stretch there, like in between Corey Dillon and, and probably Shane Vereen, where like Kevin yeah. Falk was the only good running back on the roster. But it was Kevin Falk. Like you were fine. You yeah. didn't have to worry about that spot, especially in those teams that just didn't run the ball. 07, 08, 09, whatever. So uh, Lawrence Veroni was a miss, but he doesn't have a problem finding running backs, especially third down back types. They've always had one. They've always had a successful one so I think he'll be able to find one whether it's 
bringing Brandon Bolden back for a year and developing somebody, bringing White back and developing somebody, going and drafting somebody, going and signing somebody, like they'll be able to find somebody in that in that role fairly easily. Exactly. Like obviously, I think quarterback, running back, uh, quarterback. Besides, I'd say what to do with Jared Sim, even though I think he's probably. It depends. I think if Hoyer retires, um, I think he, that's the only thing he's got to bring in, get a good backup in. But running backs, one of those situations this year where if you're a Pats fan, don't be concerned. It's going to be if you're running backs, the one position we're absolutely fine at. Um, just a couple more things before we get out of here. I wanted to ask, look, I know it's January, January uh, 24th to be exact. But if you had to guess right now by looking at the schedule and not the schedule, like looking at who we play, is there a, is it a fair time or even is it a thing where you can put a true ceiling on this team? Or do you want to wait and see like what the draft looks like, what other teams look like? Because there are some teams on that schedule that we don't know exactly what they're going to be in 2022. There's a lot of those teams. That's, yeah. that's the only thing that gives me pause. Like Pittsburgh, I'm confident saying they're probably going to stink next year. They, they have no idea what they're going to do with quarterback. Yes. Green Bay, is. they could either win 13 games or lose 13 games. I have no idea what Rodgers is going to do. Minnesota, what are they going to do in the last year? Cousins, are they going to go all in and try to win one last time and then hit reset after that? Or are they going to try to get ahead of it and, you know, just kind of be a middling team this year? Um, I think that's tough. I would say the ceiling for the Patriots, and not even just looking at the schedule, but just looking at what they can become as a team, is final four team. Like, I think they could realistically next year improve the roster enough to where they could find themselves in the AFC Championship. Do I expect that? No, but we're talking about ceiling, right? The, the yeah. absolute highest of highs. Um, in, in a one-game playoff against Kansas City or Buffalo, can they win one of those games? Yes. Will they? Probably not. Do I think they will? No, but they can. So um, they went toe-to-toe with Buffalo. They, they beat them this year once. Um, they'll, they'll have two, two chances to play them next year and then maybe play them in the playoffs again. Kansas City, and the worst team that they've had in the last 20 years, they went toe-to-toe with Kansas City with Brian Hoyer, a quarterback. Um, no matter who's playing, Belichick versus Reed, they're always close games. Um, so ceiling, I think, AFC Championship game. Do I think they ever get farther than that? No chance in my mind. But uh, And then floor, I think I think there's a chance they miss the playoffs next year. I really do, because they, they, could, they, could they could have a rough offseason with the amount of things that they need to do. You know, not everything's going to turn out, so... Low floor, very high ceiling, I think. Exactly. My f- I'd have to say if I had a floor, I would say eight and nine or nine and eight, I think. I just can't I can't see them losing more th- I can't see them losing double digits next year. But if I had to say ceiling right now, I could say I looked at the schedule, I said, I think best best for the regular season is twelve and five. I don't think it'll happen. I think nine and eight, ten and seven, eleven and six, one of those three are the more realistic result. But I think this will be a team that uh you know, could compete for a playoff spot and maybe do like a 2019 Titan-esque run where, you know, you go in there and you surprise some teams and then all of a sudden, boom, you're in the AFC Championship game. Will it happen? Probably not. Yeah, Cincinnati. This I only said Tennessee because Tennessee was a true wildcard team. That's why. Uh, Yeah, but even though, same thing with uh, Cincinnati where fourth seed, beat Vegas, you go to Tennessee, you basically neutralize a returning Derrick Henry even though he had the one touchdown. Uh, partially to blame for that as well as the offensive coordination of uh, one Todd Downing. But all in all, if you're a Patriots fan, I wouldn't panic or worry just because we did lose to the Bills. We got our asses absolutely kicked, 47-17. to 17. Look, I they had a perfect game, and the way I viewed that game is simple. Like I said, Michigan beating Ohio State and 20 years of pent-up frustration and anger just getting let out on someone all at once. Yeah, for sure. I agree on, on all fronts. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, but I, I think that's it. I don't think there's really much to add. I just had to throw in the wide receiver thing quickly. But, look, if you're a Pats fan, it's going to be an interesting offseason. I can't see them fumbling. I can't see them, like, fumbling the bag, excuse me, for what they do with the free agency. Like, There's probably going to be some players that go, though, that some fans are just not ready to see go. But in the long run, it's going to be what's best for the team. It's one of those things where – it's like, it's like when you get fired from a job you really like, you know, where it sucks and it is what it is, but you know, look, hey – the grass could be greener on the other side. You just got to think positively if you're a Pats fan going forward. And then to look, our biggest answer from last offseason is to solve already. We know that we have a solid quarterback in New England. And that's compared to what a lot of other teams have to go through in the draft class and a potential free agency where we don't know what's going to happen with the quarterbacks. 
it's good. It's not like like I'd rather much be in our position right now than be a Denver Bronco fan, say, where, look, you have all the pieces solved but the biggest one. And when you don't have the biggest one solved, it's a difference between winning, I'd say, seven games to winning ten games. I, I agree. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if you look at all of the teams in the league and you put a number on the amount of moves that they need to make to be a contender, I'd say the Patriots are in the top half of, you know, the least amount of moves. Like, I think they're like three or four moves away, truly. Uh, they're big moves. They're like a lot of things need to fall into place for them to happen and turn out. But um, you're, like you said, you're, they're in a better situation than most, and that's all you can ask for. 100%. 100%. It's just it's as simple as that. Look, at the end of the day, this team's going to be fine. They're going to be a team that come next December, they're going to be in the talk. They're going to be in the playoff hunt or probably playoff positioning. So it's not like one of those things. If they did miss next year, it's it would suck, but I don't think it's absolute worst-case scenario. I think worst-case scenario would be, like I said, finishing under 500. But, look, this team's got a long way to go. We'll see what happens. It's exciting. But, you know what, just, just enjoy it for now and – for as much as I love stressing in the playoffs, just enjoy these next few weeks because in about a month's time, we're going to be begging for football, even though the USFL is not exactly it. Yeah, I I went full hardcore into the XFL two years ago. I can't do that to myself again. I can't I can't break my own heart again. So football is over for me, you know, February 13th, whenever the Super Bowl is, until August. Yeah, that's the best way to look at it, even though the NFL is a season where, look, that's why I do a fall podcast over any other sport, even though my number one's hockey, is because it's a sport you can talk about all year round. Yep, year-round draft season, baby. Already, I'm in. Oh, love to see it, love to see it. Plenty of folks, that's going to do it for episode number 148 of YWC Football Talk. Uh, it's been a blast getting to talk to Keegan Stiefel once again. You can find all his work on patspulpit.com. At Keegan Stiefel, like it says, if you are watching on YouTube, remember all episodes will be streamed through StreamYard now. Links right over there, right, right, oh, right over there. If you see my horrible pointing job, Keegan's doing it for me. Um, but anyway, this has been presented by SidelineShop.ca, guys. If you need a jersey, no matter the sport, contact the guys at SidelineShop.ca. I'll see you guys on uh, Thursday for a full Championship Sunday preview show. And also, guys, I got some stuff coming up in the works that you're not going to want to miss out on. Have a good one, everybody, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks, Keegan, once again for coming on. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.